Okay, yes, it is the first episode of Fatal Foils. Bring in the music. Oh, louder, louder. Louder, louder. Yeah. And you already know it is your boy Fatal. Oh my goodness, what a day, what a week to be here. I'm gonna put it at the top of the show because it's a brand new show and I've been told repeat certain things. So spoilers right there and if that isn't getting into your head, spoilers, 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 spoilers. We are about to spoil the living hell out of Loki. Oh my goodness, that show blows my mind. And we have an incredible show for you today. And it's all on that show. So if you don't know anything about Loki, comicshoplocator.com, localcomic.shop. Go get yourself some Loki comics. I recommend The Trial of Loki if you didn't watch the Fatal Fanfare last Tuesday. This is all entirely on Loki episode one. And it's a hefty, hefty one. There's not a lot that happens in this episode, but it's everything that they say that gets us hyped for the rest of this exposition. So again, real quickly, because <laughs> we're about to jump through the Tesseract. This is spoiler territory. Spoiler territory, dude. Do not let this get spoiled for you. Just... <laughs> Go watch it, okay. I don't want to have to ruin it for you, but here we go. And I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. Find a rock in your nearest desert and shout to the locals. It's time for a brand new show from Fatal Affair. It is the Fatal Foils, and our first series is on the Disney Plus series Loki. That premiered Wednesday, June 9th on the streaming service. I was there streaming up until the premiere, and I had to keep myself awake because it was at 3 in the morning on the East Coast. The hype brought me fully back to life. I proceeded to watch the show four more times before the recording. Um, so here we go. In this time where I take my notes on notes for the sake of spoils, Fatal Foil Episode 1, welcome. It is Thursday, June 10th, and we're about to spoil scene for scene, thought for thought, minute for minute, the premiere of the first episode of the highly anticipated Marvel Studios television series, Loki. We're going straight into the opening scene, which is a cold open on New York City 2012, where we get a reference to, yes, Avengers 2012, but primarily Endgame, where we saw Loki escape during the time heist, thus giving us the ambition toward the series we now have. The reason we are here to see where that time deviation goes. I know I'm here for it. I'm strapped fully in and it was a wild ride. It wasn't necessarily 0 to 60, but it was 0 to 45, right? Cruising speed. We get what appears to be a refilmed, what appears to be to me, a refilmed close-up shot for shot of the uh, sequence in Endgame by Tom Hiddleston. Because, you know, we've got him for the entire show order, so we're gonna use him for the entire show order. We didn't really necessarily need the Avengers to do these reshoots, just their noises in the background gave us the feeling that we were still in Endgame, up until the point where we see Loki grab the Tesseract and disappear through the space hole from Endgame. An echoing soundbite of Thor, wondering where Loki went, leading into the Marvel logo. My feelings re-watching this scene the third, fourth time, it put me right back in the theaters during Endgame, really giving it that connected emotion to the moment we saw him escape. I thought it was a great, great, great cold open. I was so flabbergasted the first time watching it and so exhausted. I I was just, yeah, my 
god, I can't believe this is happening to me. It was fantastic. And then the opening logo splash hits, and the Loki theme plays as the Marvel splash screen is painted with the classic Loki colors, green and gold, and a lovely little shimmer of royal ignorance. Before getting a beautiful shot, using the water droplet as a pseudo camera angle. It's beautiful. The fall uh, Loki takes is insane, and he seems unscathed. I got excited. I don't care what was happening. It could have been all trailer scenes, and I was still there just in disbelief that the day had come for another Marvel show. Post-intro scene, we are in the Gobi Desert of Mongolia. Loki lands harshly from the Tesseract space hole, greeted by native Mongolians. Instantly, our boy tries to, uh, Loki lord over them, you know? He finds himself a rock. I am Loki of Asgard. Saying he's burdened with glorious purpose. He, he starts to preach that he's from Asgard as if it's sounds sane, right? And then once they realize, who, who, who is this guy? Who the fuck is he? And he's telling them who he is. I'm Loki. And the, <laughs> they're just, who the fuck is, I don't even understand what the word Loki is. They probably get it in, in some Norse understanding. But luckily, Loki's genius intellect lets him know that it is a losing battle. When the time variant authority is trying to arrest you, they appear behind the crowd that he is lording over, as he so often does. And similar to how Iron Man and Captain America showed up in the first Avengers when he was trying to force civilians to bow down to him. It's classic on brand Loki, especially coming straight out of that movie for this iteration of that character. Um, he says, oh, idiots in armored suits, quote unquote. Uh, Loki gets bitch slapped for the, <laughs> for 16 times the duration of a normal bitch slap. Maintaining, sustaining the pain the whole time, Loki tries to run and the collars that they slap on him when now in the time variant authority stronghold keep him on a time leash. He gets yanked back towards his captors that just pulled him out of the Gobi Desert and uh, thrusted into an elevator for um, commissioning, I'm imagining. The future robot companion, Sentient Life, something that seems like out of Portal, uh, like a 1950s future concept, very Fallout-like, uh, if everything was in pristine condition and not post-apocalyptic. Very well kept. Getting heated with the robot, Loki feels the need, using that hyper-intellect of his, to proclaim to the robot about his fine as guardian leather. Before we get a derobing Chris Pratt style from Guardians of the Galaxy. My boy Tom Hiddleston is pumping. Okay, this man, he said, oh, how many months do we got? Oh, there's a pandemic? Well, I might as well work out the entire time. He is swole veiny from the neck down. I mean, from what we can see, the neck down. It's, it's awesome. Sexy Loki for the win, and he falls down a hole now, uh, cladded in the jumpsuit of the Time Variant Authority, and thrusted into the bureaucracy of the Time Variant Authority. They have everything Loki ever said on script, and everything he would ever say up to Endgame, I'm assuming. But I have a, I have a question. If Loki were to have reset those things, you know, getting back to his timeline, and they already know everything he's going to say up until that point, and he's spoilered for the ending, but you're watching this anyway, so it should already be spoiled. Loki is a very, he's a variant hunting a variant. So do all variant Lokis get access to the script that they would at some point say? Because considering he says it and it prints immediately out and added to the paper stack, it's one of those things, you know, when you're playing with time, these things happen. Uh, the tunnel shoot scene where he comes out of the bureaucracy seems very obviously shot in two parts. We get Loki reforming his straight posture 
posture from an impacting fall and an incredibly Tommy Hiddle's hair flip. My man normally on the red carpet sporting it slicked back, already flipped back, but Loki, I've never seen him have bangs, so my boy must do an exaggerated hair flip pointing up and cursing what would be a previous scene that he was told about. I don't think that these scenes were filmed sub, uh, sequentially. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, he goes for it, man. He goes right for it. Uh, he's rocking the Loki origin story with a fresh pair of boots. He's, he's overacting the hell out of this scene. Almost like a Tim Burton Batman character portraying in their story involvement, like uh, the Penguin with Danny D. You know, he was so Penguin, he went for it 100%. He was biting people. He was giving you the voice. I'm the Penguin. And Loki is just Loki all over this bitch. Uh, what if Loki was a robot and he didn't know it? Why is this scene so suspenseful and were we to believe that Loki could be a robot? This probably calling back to some other Tony Stark involvement uh, comic arcs where we might get a Robo Loki because we have seen Robo Thor in a few comics. Robo Thor getting taken down eventually by either Beta Ray Bill or Hercules in that moment. Loki's curiosity is peaking as we watch the Sorcerer Genius get befuddled by all sorts of retro type technology. The prime understanding the time variant authority has about Loki is breathtaking. Disney even used their massive budget to make an incredible another incredible if you saw WandaVision, a clean 4x3 ratio, but this time in the form of an HD cartoon like the intros we got in WandaVision when she was exploring I Dream of Genie and all these other great homages. The explanation of the timekeepers and the variants in the cartoon add their own spice to what seemed like a diagram reference to what the Ancient One showed the Hulk in Endgame about the timeline. The Ancient One is another example of a seemingly omnipotent pillar in the MCU, and with Miss Minutes joining that category of characters characters now, voiced by the ever, oh so, tantalizing Tara Strong, voicing Bubbles, Twilight Sparkle in My Little Pony, and Raven in Teen Titans, Timmy Turner, go look her up, she's incredible, I'm pretty sure she's been 10. There's another Nexus term drop, foreshadowing future events, binding the multiverse that looms over the future installment of MCU slated movies. Yeah, we, this cartoon is just creepy, and for Marvel fans, they know, they know when to look closely at things. And that was one of the things I had to rewind. Well, I rewatched it four times, but in that moment, it was just bananas. We only get two words to cushion our thought from the words madness and multiverse, which as we know is the title of the next Doctor Strange movie that on the Tuesday, uh, on the Tuesday show, we reported that the rumor of Shuma Gorath is the villain of Doctor Strange 2, making Mephisto look small in comparison. Uh, but we'll get to Mephisto because I've got a lot, I've got a lot, a lot of shit to say about Mephisto, and I'm looking at you, Disney. I'm looking at you, Kevin Feige, because I know what you're doing to me. I, I think we all know what you're doing to me. The timekeepers have iconography of their mightiness, almost as a reminder for the occupants of the time. Bureau, the cell-shaded looking CGI Miss Minutes, is an incredible demonstration of Disney animation, always playing with how far their innovation can go, like with the man who gets instantly turned to ash by Jeff Goldblum's death stick from Thor Ragnarok. It's not actually his death stick, but it's the only example or reference we have to something like a melting stick. Cue the title card, Loki, L-O-K-I. It is absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. I, I felt a sense of mystery and darkness watching it. And I was just asking myself the same thing Loki kept asking himself for the first 10 minutes. What what the hell's going on? This is fucking nuts. Almost in a newer mystery shuffling manner, it sets the tone for not only Loki's 
fearful confusion, but almost serves as a reset for the average superhero story feel. It's dark, it's got the creepy horror whistle going for it the whole time. Uh, it made me say, let's fucking do this. I'm here for the answers, I know you're not gonna give them to me. You never like giving them to me. Open to Owen Wilson in his acting prime! My man's is warmed up! He took a lap before getting on set, he was incredible, and apparently he can speak every language in his timeline, or in any timeline. We don't know what these beings are capable of yet, but they look like humans, so, you know. Uh, another big, hey, look over here from Disney as Owen Wilson approaches a, I'm pretty sure a Mongolian girl. Well, it might not be in Mongolia, because where Loki lands, the time variant was, uh, authority was only there for Loki, so where we have Owen Wilson showing up doesn't necessarily have to be anywhere we've seen yet. These are just the crimes where the variant Loki is, is appearing, is showing up. They know what they're doing. But Owen Wilson asks who did this and the little girl points at a stained glass window of the devil now <laughs> conspiracy crackpot theory from your boy fatal if anyone knows me and how on board i was with the wandavision house of m theory they know how disappointed i was in the last episode of that show mephisto could have been hovering over agatha the bugs on the window could have been mephisto the rabbit anyone and when the twins disappeared the feeling of fans hearts that mephisto was behind it it was ever growing wanting it to be more than just agatha who was in front of us the entire time after all if they could trick us up until the agatha all along musical number then why not one more time, especially considering the resurrected Quicksilver was still in question by this point. Who turned out to be a great disappointment? We're going to theorize on this right now, okay? Because we're going to start a conspiracy. I might, it, it, it might have already been said, but what if the constant disappointment for Mephisto could be part of making the audience start thinking that they have a madness themselves, getting ready for Multiverse of Madness, giving us the illusion that we're confused on what's going on in the MCU proper, thinking that we always knew every next step, right, as fans reading these comics going, oh, well, I know who's gonna show up here, it's a Captain America movie, obviously Bucky Barnes is gonna be in it at some point, and, you know, it, it's that kind of max hype level payoff that makes Endgame so incredible. It, the fans were losing their minds, and if they can get us to do that in a movie that's not Endgame, then they have us forever, which they already demonstrated that they do. But if Shuma Gorath is always present in the MCU proper, and Mephisto shows up, then all of those shows have these little seeds that you can go back for rewatchability, replayability, and each one draws attention to that feeling of madness more and more up until this multiversal reveal, giving Marvel this increasingly mysterious and playful character in Mephisto moving forward with so many main character deaths that we've had. Mephisto would be able to summon, conjure these souls and uh, deaths from the Marvel Universe, giving the return the open door for anyone to return. Or it could just be a reference to Loki's first appearance into Journey into Mystery when he took on the form of the devil. But that could be a misdirection as well, that knowledge that we already know about Loki. In the comics, Loki strikes his name from the records of Mephisto's realm, the Marvel proper version of Hell, which would mean he would have to have a meeting with Mephisto if uh, he were to strike this deal. This could leave Loki in a time purgatory until he were to contact the young Avenger that we meet in WandaVision Wiccan, with the stinger at the end of that Disney Plus series being that Wiccan is still alive after the fact of Wanda's spiraling imagination, and he needs help from who? We don't know yet, but he contacts Wanda in the astral plane, which is something that Loki can do canonically as well. If the 
deal with Mephisto at the end of this series happens to be the soul of Wanda's children, then it can reconfirm the House of M storyline without ever having gave it away till the end of the Loki series, in which Loki can also come back from undeath into the living realm we might find him at at the end of this series, when they pull Wiccan out of this danger from Mephisto, but having to hide in a child's body for him to resurrect himself, uh, this could leave Loki a child himself. With his limited shape-shifting abilities causing him to be a young Avenger, Kid Loki now would enter the fray, canonically in the MCU proper, and uh, in which all of these Disney Plus television series, we see at least one young Avenger, giving us a slate of Wiccan, Speed, Patriot, Kid Loki, and as we know that we're getting Kate Bishop in the Disney Plus television series Hawkeye. Miss Marvel is slated to join later, and thus possibly completing the Young Avengers, and then if the She-Hulk show fits into this television canon, She-Hulk could act as the level-headed guardian and the guardian of the Young Avengers, uh, like a pseudo-Nightwing to the Teen Titans. Agent Mobius, who can speak every language in this timeline, and being the long-time and hardened veteran that he is of this division, I get Major Jim Gordon vibes. Owen Wilson even says that the devil is afraid of us, which could reference Mephisto's constant evasion or the variant Loki. It's It could be a bunch of people. It could even be Crusher, Loki's sidekick. We don't know who it is yet, but it is somebody who ha understands from the 31st century, as we saw that future sword at the end of this episode, it could be Kang, because Kang is also from the future, he's from everything. Or it could be somebody that we don't know yet who just has this technology. That could be misleading in itself. You never know what they're gonna do in these MCU shows. Agent Mobius seems to be sure of his hunches, or at least how he has to go about finding the answers to them. A time-worn veteran in trying his hardest to play the Nick Fury of this story from lower on the totem pole. Not all our heroes are the leaders of their organizations. Loki's records are shown and we see his birthplace of Jotunheim on the record sheet in the courtroom. As we, uh, we also get a slow pan of some older looking murals telling a more primal tale through the timekeepers. I noticed one of them standing on the other side of the other two, almost serving as a visual division, possibly teasing the next phases, uh, Big Bad Kang the Conqueror being one of these timekeepers. We get the Laufey Sun name drop, the three timekeepers' faces sitting behind the court judge like the statues from Ragnarok, and they are titanic feeling. They are huge. They are larger than life. Feeling. Loki sure of his own accusations trying to sentence himself almost in a manner that he would see fit as is the god of mischief that we love. Loki said he could smell two Tony Starks like he knew about the time travel in Endgame the whole time, but that would mean Loki tangled with time before, if he even were to think that this was possible. It also could be due to his own hubris because he states that they staved off his ascent to godhood. It could be him thinking, if there was anything to stop me, it would have to be time travel because there is no way in hell my soundproof plan had a leak in it. Already wanting to assume his comic role as arch nemesis to the Avengers that we know him as, we start to get a more fourth dimensional Loki. When he volunteers to take out the Avengers for the time variant authorities, the court says what the Avengers did was supposed to happen, and Loki escaping was not. But if the Avengers going back in time was supposed to happen, wouldn't they see Loki's escape being the probable outcome? Because his theft of the Tesseract is part of what caused the Avengers to do what they did, there's continuity questions that is almost inescapable when playing with time in any piece of writing. Especially a show like this with such so many people watching, it's hard to hide in any corner with certain uh, plot devices. Loki's not permitted the use of his magic, but we see him trying to do something. If comics serves the purpose, then I assume that he would be trying to enhance 
enhance his strength with his magic as to assume the role of the superhero of his own origin story like Thor would have in Thor Ragnarok when he fought Surtur. And he said that's what heroes do. That's not what Loki said, that's what Thor said in Thor Ragnarok. But Loki now, this is the Loki from Avengers 2012. So this Loki now has, has an opportunity to reform. Not instantly getting thrown in a prison by his brother Thor at the end of Avengers that we lead into a very downward spiral into this uh, descent, this, this splitting of trust from Loki because he is forced to watch Asgard operate from inside of a jail cell. What appears to be one of the only jail cells in Asgard. Almost like it was meant for him and he can see everything. It was glass. It was brutal. But he'll see that later. He's still swole without the magic. He doesn't need the magic to... Chris Pratt out of that shirt again and, and have some veins bulging from the chest as we saw my boy. It's not your story, Mr. Laufeyson. It never was. Agent Mobius wants to use Loki, assuming he knows what he's capable of. He also states how he likes looking up to the judge, claiming it appropriate. I'm sensing some blood re relation between Owen Wilson and the judge, or a possible romance that I'm sure we'll, we will probably see, because the way they write this is Jeff's kiss. It's hard to tell with Owen Wilson's straight manning style what's really going on sometimes. Loki says he's gonna burn this place to the ground, and in which Wilson replies, you can start with my desk. This makes me think of the Loki teaser that we got last year, as if that that teaser was just filmed during some of the interrogation scenes with Loki, because in that teaser, he's sitting at a desk. He's sitting at like a steel table. He says that line, I'm gonna burn this place to the ground. Constantly reminds us that he's burning something. But that little stinger doesn't really fit in this show. You don't see that scene. Often as Marvel teasers or trailers tend to do, they leave out those scenes so that they're always keeping you guessing. Still using that line though, brilliant, brilliant line, He's walking around on a soundstage, and uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna just get real somber with this for a second, man. Real somber means depressing. You know what? This is jubilating. This is insane, because what happens next while uh, Loki's walking away and delivers the beautiful line? We get a swelling of orchestral sombrance. I'm gonna use that word again. It's the only one I got right now, because I myself felt this heart-sinking feeling in the beauty and attention to detail that Disney has given us. Uh, the detail in this time realm setting is <laughs> immaculate. Disney outdid themselves in terms of detail, resolution, utter breathtaking beauty. Something I have never quite literally seen anywhere. I have only good things to say about this wallpaper-esque scene that I had to keep paused for a minute while writing this to do its magnificence some, some, some justice. It was really quite something. You can see what appears to be eons really deep into the setting. The buildings are just infinite. It, 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 it's nuts. It's just nuts. It, he's, Loki says that's not even real. And Owen Wilson says, oh, it is. Leaving us to want to pause that scene, I hope, for decades and decades to come. Brilliant line by Wilson saying uh, he'll help Loki burn down the nightmare department. Hiddleston and Wilson have a wonderful back and forth in an elevator, bouncing off each other seamlessly. It's hilarious. The announcing for the exposition of Agent Mobius' occupation comes apparent when he goes, so you work for the Time Variance Authority. And Wilson goes, right? And he's like, and your job is to... And you know, they explain everything that Owen Wilson does. If you don't already know by 20 minutes into the show. Uh, still negating all the demeaning and mighty things Loki has to say, Agent Mobius shows Loki to a private room, like a negotiation room. The theme of trust comes back 
back and apparently trust is for children and dogs it's not for your boy loki he doesn't need trust he hasn't had to trust anybody yet but he's about to get a rude awakening in this room loki asks how he hasn't heard of mobius and he states because loki exists on a set path and he's never needed to meet him until this very moment loki says he can choose his path wilson is saying sure you can batting him around like a child letting him believe whatever he wants uh, letting Loki be just as righteous, saying things about himself, I'm sure you are, who's a good boy? He doesn't actually say that. But Loki is a good boy. Loki's the best boy. Making a demonstration by pulling Loki's time leash, Owen Wilson ushers Loki back to him. Come on, come take a seat. Making note of his facial expression, saying that Loki looks flabbergasted. Like, dude, don't do that again. Uh, Mobius is a full-on mediator, a therapist, patronizing Loki the entire time, trying to weed out his true intentions. With a fully charged bullshit detector. He's always saying, you don't believe that, you don't think that, why do you think that? Loki's intention? Conquering Earth. Then Asgard, then the Nine Realms. And then Owen Wilson says, what, then space? Because you seem to have a really good idea of what's in your realm, what's on the ground, but dude, there's a lot of things you really don't know. What are you gonna do, conquer space? Loki, king of space? And Loki says, don't mock me. He's trying to break Loki of his sensibilities, his hindrance that plagues his potential. Only seeing nearsighted for the throne, the need to rule something. Agent Mobius is a master at seeing at the level of his perspective his case so that he can negotiate with him better. He gets Loki to open up, which he loves to do anyway, but not from a vulnerable position. Instead saying, kneel, over and over and over, kneel, 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 Loki actually tries to convince Mobius that he was right often as villains tend to think they are. The choice, it, Loki says there's a song of freedom. And Owen Wilson says, how's that song go? Loki says, choice breeds shame and uncertainty and regret. There's a fork in every road and the wrong path always taken. Loki thinks he's unique. He sees the strings being pulled behind the curtain. So being condescended, mocked, Loki restates that I am smart. Oh, you using all those words, big metaphor guy. You, you must think you're so smart. And Loki thinks he is smart. I am smart. Moby is full on agrees because he knows he's seen it it's not sarcastic at that point the sarcasm goes up and up and up and then owen wilson boom straight man's oh i know you are smart he's seen loki's life he's hunting a loki variant himself he he's aware of his wittiness his evasiveness his elusiveness he knows that uh loki can't be caught by the time variant authority mobius fully agrees we get a highlight reel of some big success marvel movies and a different looking loki in the holograms than what it seems to be reshoots like the cold open but i'm not a percent sure on this. They were just so, so good. The attention to detail in this show was so good. We get a character breakdown from Loki's therapist, Dr. Mo Mo Mobius. I was gonna say Morbius. We don't get that movie yet. Dr. Mobius time MD. Our boy negotiating him almost like a, like a prisoner. And we get a visual look at how, uh, we should view Loki's complex character development, going from bad guy to occasional good guy. And why? The question of Loki's actions are in every moment. How did he go from villain to martyr and hero? in Endgame, especially when he's not that Loki here. It's quite interesting to see it play out when you have a character who isn't familiar with his own heroic future. Does he follow a path that gets him killed? Or does he follow a path that allows him to carry out his original plans? Trying to convince Mobius he's a god because of his discovery that the humans thought Thor and him as gods in Avengers 1 and Thor 1, telling Thor, the humans think of us as gods. Let's test that theory. And he drops Thor out of the helicarrier. That line resonates with Loki in every introduction he's allowed to 
to have now. He's, I am a god. I'm the god of mischief. And as he tells him, he's the god of mischief. And we get to see the self-proclaimed scamp in action as D.B. Cooper. Marvel outdid themselves. I was so fascinated and humored by this. My man lost all the money on the escape, by the way. Claiming he lost a bet to Thor is the reason he was even doing it. Thor bet him what? What, what was the bet? Word for word, like, go be D.B. Cooper. The whole sequence felt like a parody, but it was wild. Perfect Owen Wilson delivery with, I cannot believe you were D.B. Cooper. I love Owen Wilson, man. And Loki's curiosity of how they feel about these scandalous events, like, where was the time patrol when I was doing this? Mobius states it's not about, it, it's about the sacred timeline. It's not about approving or disapproving. They slide over that scenario so smooth. He's like, eh, well, don't worry about that. Okay, it's a gray area. Just like Madame Hydra said in Falcon of the Winter Soldier. It's a gray area. Don't worry about that. It doesn't feel like Mobius, you know, it feels like discovering a friend's embarrassing secret. <laughs> the way Mobius is going about these, these memories, kind of patronizing Loki the whole time, re-watching the greatest hits. Like, man, look at you. It's hilarious. There's a charming comedic banter between the whole two while he's still treating Loki like a child, throwing a tantrum. Like an addict in rehab, he's trying to pull Loki out of his true nature, his true self. He's probably, he's probably sees Loki as a hero, knowing how that timeline ends. The one that was so pertinent to time itself with the Avengers winning. Uh, I'm sure they're all very familiar with his sacrifice. Loki's trying to project his certainty on the matter by telling Mobius he's not all that in a bucket of gold. You know, you're not everything you're cracked up to be too, so why are you judging me? The look into Loki's psyche, the whole feeling, it's, it's overcoming the room in this scene. The whole bonding experience over Loki's life really brought me close for some sucker punches too, guys. Ready? I'm gonna try and deliver this one. Because as, as they started so comedic and they got you to care and remember what Loki did, they also want you to remember something we all really didn't want to remember. Thor the Dark World. There's a few things that are really redemptive in uh, Thor the R Dark World. We get to see Loki's mother's death and the reason that it happened. As we know, Loki is responsible for that. Loki's never seen his parents die yet. He never, uh, in, in Ragnarok, he got to watch Odin's goodbye, but he didn't know that he was responsible for their mother's death. I don't even think Thor told Loki that he was responsible for their mother's death. Wilson now playing a little bit of bad cop, good cop, as the bad cop, getting more sure of himself, pulling out some interrogative methods and causing an outburst in Loki, saying Loki, Loki's jumbling for words and he's, I'll kill you. And then Owen Wilson says, what? Like your mother? Like your mother? And oh man, Loki throws up he runs at him and uh, Owen Wilson pulls him back and he falls in midair because the furniture doesn't get time looped too. Just you, buddy, sadly. Being interrupted by the uh, time variant authority, Loki gets a chance to escape. Loki teleports around the foundry and eventually ends up in an office where we get what now feels like one of the most quotable lines in the MCU for me. It's hilarious. Give me the Tesseract or I'll gut you like a fish. What's a fish? What's a fish? I love it. What is a fish? <laughs> Never heard that before. Showing how dis connected this realm is from our own. Uh, Loki threatening someone with death or his stone, he gets a glimpse at a drawer full of infinity stones. I sensed heartbreak from Loki. I sensed bewilderment, but like also like a everything I know doesn't matter. So I kind of feel like this is where Loki's character spreads. It, it shreds apart a lot like the time he had to do that in Thor the Dark World up until he faked his death. All coming to clarity in one moment without wasting the time. He already did waste the time. He already did the Tesseract thing and everything. 
everything else. So when he sees the infinity stones in this drawer, after threatening somebody life or death for the stone, he gets told that they're nothing but paperweights. Showing that the stones, okay, the stones only work in their timeline, right? So if you take them out of their timeline, they're deemed useless in another universe. Is this room so disconnected from every single timeline that not even one branch of time can be affected by the stones that are residing in this room? Or he could be feeling a fear of sense. Uh, he could be feeling a fear and a sense of scale. That everyone in that realm can consider the stones as mere paperweights or having them from all different realms. He says the line, is this the greatest power in the universe? Because the stones don't affect that room. The room can be can be the embodiment of the universe. The stones serve the universe as a grand whole. A stone being destroyed doesn't mean their energy is because it always has to exist. As per the rule of existence, so does this room being impervious to their energy, nay being duplicatable, mean that this facility is something spaciously omnipotent as we play with the concept of the multiverse and the pillars that make up our existence. Cosmic superheroes like the Eternals, Silver Surfer, and especially the return of the Guardians that are ever so rampant in the Marvel Universe, fighting villains that flood the roster from all over the Marvel Cosmic. What unfolds next is Loki's finding escape refuge in the same negotiation room that he fled from. He goes back to it, replaying his future memories for his present self who has no idea. He's able to absorb both his parents' death in a single montage, allowing for Tom Hiddleston to shine in a soundstage by himself. It's brutal. It's, it's utterly brutal. Watching the peace he finds with his brother and how they mend their damaged and complicated relationship by himself, not fooling anyone's with his emotions. He's by himself. He has to let it all go. He, he doesn't have anybody to play off of. I'm Loki. I don't cry. He's crying. I'm crying. You're crying. By the fourth watch, I wasn't crying, but I did feel like a... Just a... He has to let it all go. He cries from solace and joy that he finds in standing side by side with his brother Thor in a possible future in the future he robbed himself of. And finally watching his own death at the hands of the mad titan Thanos. The sound of his neck snaps in the grip of the infinity gauntlet makes Loki angry and scared at the same time. And if you pause right after the next snap scene, you get the most beautiful screen of Loki looking away from his own sacrifice that Thor is mourning in the holographic projection. Almost like an anti-hero is born before our eyes, with his mission now fully realized having experienced one possible future. We can now begin to wonder what's in store for this series. Loki, this is the turnaround. If he has motivation, it's because of this. He has seen what he can do. He has seen what his actions bring and who he loses along the way. When he becomes a martyr and sacrifices himself for Thor, he must realize, no matter if he didn't experience it himself, what it would take to do that. And I think Loki gets that entirely. You know, it's almost the therapy session started to work. Loki answers back to the question, what's so funny? When he's in a fit of laughter and utters the line, glorious purpose. What is this newfound purpose? Heroism? Knowing what he will do now, given the circumstances, what is he planning to do now? A fight scene unfolds until Loki unlocks his collar, straps it to the time cop, and puts her in a perpetual teleportation. Loki explains he doesn't enjoy hurting people to Owen Wilson. He says he does it because he's always had to hurt people. It's a classic therapy session at its best. And by the end of it, he admits how well he knows himself. And Owen Wilson says, you do know yourself. Look at you, man. And he thinks of himself as a villain, but it seems he's never wanted to be. So he joins up with the Time Variant Authority to go after another version of Loki himself. Last seen in the year 1858, Selena, Oklahoma. We see the Time Variant Authority 
authority come into the scene and find a glowing melee weapon of some kind and a hooded figure, which could not yet be Loki. The oil on the ground is burned to create a setting on fire. Very nefarious, very ominous, and with the closing hard cut to black on the mysterious figure looming over the next episode. And this has been Fatal Foils number one. Thank you for joining me, every single person, all people. We're not gonna go anywhere just yet, so I can address the people who stayed and support this podcast. Catch us later on Stitcher, Google, and hopefully Spotify. I'll see you later.